Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. There's some trends worth paying attention to these days around the beer space, and one of them is the THC seltzers. They're popping up on menus in certain states alongside IPA and lager. We'll learn more about the history, the process, and the future of this style with Joe Wells of Minnesota's Fair State Co-op. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. Listen to shows like Brewer to Brewer and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you. You can visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to help keep the content fresh. A few bucks goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show or any of our shows, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, attention brewers, registration for the 2024 Best of Craft Beer Awards is now open. Sign up today. Now in its 10th year, this is a BJCP-sanctioned event, judged by fellow brewers, professional judges, and industry leaders. Judged in Oregon, it's the third largest professional brewing competition in North America, and it's a chance to have your hard work evaluated and rewarded. Use promo code ALLABOUTBEER to receive 10% off of your order. Don't delay. Register your beers today by visiting bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. One more time. That's bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. THC seltzers got on my radar in a big way late last year in Iowa. I had a conversation, as you might remember, on this show with Scott Selix of Lua and Climbing Kites about their entry into the space. Their beverage is being contracted out of Minnesota's Fair State Co-op, which also has its own line of seltzers in that space. And the brewer putting in the work to make and develop those is Joe Wells. Wells has been in the craft beer industry for over a decade, from California to Canada, and he spent the last five years at Fair State, where he serves as the head brewer. He clued me in on how these seltzers are made, how they came about in the first place, and what the market is doing in response to their availability. Here's our conversation. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Uh, in In... Going back to the beginning of your career, you talked about being in beer quality before getting into brewery uh, to brewing. Um, what first attracted you to the overall brewing industry, and then did starting off in like a you know in a in a QC role has that helped inform the rest of your career, like to where uh, it is now? Yeah, very much so. So I originally um, got into brewing when I was in college. Pretty standard story, you know, uh, home brewing and getting a degree in analytical chemistry and got pretty excited by uh, the idea of uh, working at a brewery. I knew nothing about the industry, but, um, you know, I remember sending out those first like job applications after graduation and uh, I had I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> uh, so I ended up uh, bouncing around for a little bit and worked in uh, pharmaceutical industry for a little while before I um, ended up at Hangar 24 Craft Brewery in uh, Redlands, California, as their QAQC lab manager. Uh, you know, it was it was a interesting position. You know, they were flying by the seat of their pants and I really got to go in and make a lot of 
choices on how we would make good beer. Definitely made some poor choices along the way, learned a lot, um, <laughs> and really immersed myself in the industry as, as fast and as hard as I could. So um, it's really given me a lot of uh, tools and information to think about the beer and the products that we make um, and make sure that we're making something that's safe and high quality for people. Yeah. Um, and I definitely want to talk about safety as well as quality, you know, as we start to, to, to talk about, um, mm -hmm. some of these seltzers and some of these, uh, some of these beverages as well. But, um, when you transitioned to the brewing side, was there, I know there's some brewers that are just sort of jack of all trades. There's ones that would try to dial into, uh, specific recipes. There's ones that, um, you know, will only brew, uh, a, a certain style, um, what kind of brewer were you when you transitioned to that side of things? Uh, when I first got into the more onto the brewing side, my definite passion lied in uh, mixed culture beer. You know, I think everybody had that moment about, you know, seven, eight years ago where sour beer was the future. And it's that's the future. All... It's yeah, a rocket you know? ship to the moon. Yeah. You know, everybody thought they were going to sell 10,000 <laughs> barrels of sour beer and be rich. Uh but um, I really enjoy mixed culture beer. I think it's really fun. Uh, but, you know, pretty quickly you uh, turn into the beer geek that has a couple hundred bottles of beer in the basement of your house and uh, you never drink it. And you start drinking a lot more hams and high life and uh, realize that easy drinking lager beer is where the where it's at. Um, and actually, you know, Fair State has ended up being really great for me in that regard in that we focus on making great lager beer. Yeah. Um, our Pilsner is uh, is one of my favorite beers. Um, it was one of my favorite beers to drink before I started working here and then got lucky enough to come here and make it. Uh, and we've definitely focused on making great lager beer since then. Yeah, Fair, Fair State, I, I remember during the Craft Brewers Conference in, uh, what, two years ago, um, drinking a lot of lager, hanging out at yeah. the brewery. Um, I think, we, but had, then, I think yeah. we had seven or eight Pilsners on tap for CBC. It was fun. Yeah, and it was what was really cool was looking around the room um and just seeing brewers from around the world who were there, you know, all drinking lager. And it was, you know, it it sort of like reinforced the in my mind during that day of okay, we can talk about IPAs, we can talk about hazies, we can talk about the mixed cultures and and all of that. Um but as Ashley Carter from Beerstadt has said, you know, lager's on this 500-year winning streak. Um but there's something to just be said for, you know, good, easy drinking beer. You know, like a, oh, like, a so, like a social beverage. Very much so. Um, you know, I there was definitely a moment during CBC where uh, I met uh, Eve's debates, and he was drinking our one of our uh, Keller pills in the tap room, and I was like, "This is this is pretty cool. This is where it's at." <laughs> I was uh, so so. That's the scene that I was thinking of. Um, yeah. Because uh, I was there uh, that afternoon, and I was with uh, Evan and Nico, uh, yep. who were just gobsmacked um, that he was at your bar drinking lager. Yep, I think I must have been about three feet from you then, because I was there as well. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, um, that was a busy. Yeah, week. go ahead. Yeah. Um. So as you look at what consumers want what it, you know because it's not just what brewers want but it's what it's what consumers want um how have you all been 
I don't know, approaching recipe development on the beer side of things? Is it looking for, for, for new flavors and established styles? Is it sticking to just tradition? Is it somewhere in the middle? Um, I mean, Minnesota likes to drink, um, you know, you mentioned hams and high life, you know, obviously those fly off the shelves there. Um, you know, there's, you know, all of the recreational sports, um, you know, that, that, that exist in the outdoors there, um, where people just want something, you know, sort of background noise. So when you're thinking about the beer program, what are the beers that you, like, how are you approaching those developments? Uh, I think, you know, Minnesota's got a pretty interesting beer culture compared to a lot of the other states. You know, we've got uh, uh, Summit and Shells as these very large breweries doing, you know, over 100,000 barrels a year um, and making a lot of uh, pretty easy drinking pale beer. You know, Summit was built on extra pale ale um, and their their color pills that they redesigned as uh, it's named after the twins, uh, you know, our baseball team um, in partnership with the baseball team actually uh, is is a really beautiful, um, beautiful little Pilsner. Uh, and then Shells is is massive here in oh, Minneapolis sure. and they make Grain Belt. They make yep. Lordy, um, you know, they're the second oldest family owned brewery in the U.S. And uh I think that's really kind of formed the beer culture here and that people are looking for light drinking, you know, easy to drink beers. Uh, we launched a, a Kolsch last year that uh, is, is blowing people away. You know, we're, we're selling a, a lot of Kolsch um, more than anybody expected. And I think it's, I think it's our number three skew right now. Um, and uh, you know, it really speaks to what people want here. They want a beer that they can have three or four of, they want a beer that they can uh, drink with their family and not get sloshed. Uh, they want something that's not going to detract from whatever else they're doing. And uh, I think we really fit that bill for people a lot of the time. I like that. Yeah, I, it just sort of seems to be. I mean, that's where I want to be as a drinker as well, of just something that is good, easy drinking, you know, has some nuance to it where. You know, when I can let my brain wander a little bit, it it'll tease something out and it makes it a little bit more interesting for for a minute or two, and then you know, sort of back to it. But um, I wonder if you can, because I, I I guess the question is, with all of that in mind, with these beers that you're making, with the with the background that you had, did you ever think that you'd be talking about THC seltzers? <laughs> Uh, no, honestly, uh, it was, um, kind of thrust upon us as a, as a industry, you know, Minnesota had this kind of weird legalization of edible hemp derived things. Um, it kind of swung in and everybody was like, wait, we can do this. Um, yeah. So can, I, can you, can you just sort of give the, the broad strokes about how that happened? Because it, it seems like it took most people by surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Both, like, so, both inside and outside of the, of, of the beverage industry. Yeah. So there was a, a bill that got put into the Minnesota legislature that um, was posited as regulating the Delta eight hemp derived cannabinoid market, which Delta eight is like a THC derivative. That's about 80%, 75% as potent as Delta nine THC. 
which is the THC we all are familiar with. Um, and there's a lot of like kind of shady hemp derived Delta eight stuff on the market, all these interesting and odd cannabinoids that uh, aren't naturally occurring. And so this bill was presented to regulate that market, but they also just wrote in the bill that it would regulate Delta nine as well. And it got passed. And so according to the federal farm bill, we can sell things that have Delta 9 THC in them as long as it's derived from hemp. And this bill that went through the Minnesota legislature kind of cemented that, that we could sell edibles, um, including beverages that have Delta 9 in them. Um, and it was, I mean, I don't know, locally around the around the, the brewery here and then talking to people I know, uh, everybody was just kind of like, wait, did we just legalize weed in Minnesota? What, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> Because um, it's it's not just consume, but it was also produce. Yeah, the production yeah. is the real key. And uh the interestingly, you know, Minnesota has some very uh strict and weird alcohol laws. You know, we just got Sunday sales about five years ago. Um but you had blue laws before that, yeah. Yeah, we had blue laws. We breweries of uh if you were a production brewery that distributed beer to liquor stores you couldn't have a tap room until about 10 years ago i remember uh, that yeah yeah we, we've got some weird laws and uh they really didn't regulate the hemp market much i mean that first summer right after their legalization um there were at our state fair there were people sitting in moving trucks at all the entrances selling cans of weed seltzer to people just out of the back of a truck um like it it was wild so uh you know people jumped on it pretty fast and uh we you know we're a small local brewery uh we're pretty pretty connected to our customer base because we are a cooperative um, we have, uh, I think we're, we're a bit over 2000 members right now that are like members of our co-op and are really tied to the company. And, uh, it was pretty obvious, uh, that people wanted a, a seltzer. They wanted a weed beverage. Um, and so we, we jumped on it and, uh, Wait, I, you know, I, I just want to back up a little bit. Like yeah, when, yeah, when, yeah, it, when you say it's pretty clear that people wanted it. So you're in touch with your members. Um, I remember some of the early days of the brewery and having conversations with the guys where it was, you know, putting recipes to a vote or what should we put on next, that kind of thing. Um, does does that still exist? Uh, it, I think it exists in a bit of more of a um, a less structured way. I mean, we okay. we get a lot of feedback from our customers over the bar. Uh, we have a Facebook group, people post in there things that they're like, hey, I'd really love to see this beer again that we haven't made you know, nine years. Um, we, I'd say we have a pretty, uh, pretty good feedback loop with our members. Um, we send out questionnaires, we send out newsletters to them. And uh, the number of members that have gotten a hold of my email address and send me messages about things that they want to see or want to hear about uh, is, is, is a lot. <laughs> um, so I guess when you're saying that you were getting the feedback from folks that they wanted a seltzer, um, like how is that coming in? Uh, like through all of it. those groups, through all those emails, through all of those. Yeah. Yeah. You know, over the bar and Facebook messages and, uh, you know, the general chatter of social media mostly. Okay. 
I'm just trying to paint the the, the timeline here and get sort of an understanding. Oh, sure. But all right, so yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Um, so when we first decided to launch our hemp beverages, uh, which we call the stuff that we make for ourselves, Chill State, um, we, you know, I think a lot of the folks were like, you know, we want LaCroix but with weed in it. Um, and we looked at it as, well, we make, uh, we make beer. We make beer that tastes like beer. We, we don't make a lot of like heavily fruited beer or uh, heavily adjuncted stuff. Like we really focus on like IPAs that taste like IPAs and lagers that taste like lagers and uh, making beer that exemplifies uh, what we love in beer. And so when we were like, well, we're going to make a weed seltzer, let's make it taste like weed. Um, which is very different than most of the crowd. Most of them are some sort of fruit flavoring or some sort of fruit puree and a little bit of THC and uh, you're off to the races. We instead decided to lean into terpenes and kind of uh, high-end weed strains, if you will. So grapefruit kush and pineapple express, uh, like these kind of designer weed strains and the flavor profiles that come from them and uh made i think a pretty unique beverage for the market so how does the like how does recipe development begin on that like you named all these strains right so did you did you start with 50 and whittle it down to three did you start with you know just those three and you landed on it like how how do you run trials on something like this uh, we, I think we started with probably a dozen or so strains. Um, you know, we're working with a, a terpene company uh, called Abstract Labs, and I've gotten to know the uh, our our sales guy and um, over the last couple of years there. Uh, we started using them for beer originally, and now uh, for the uh, hemp seltzers. And you know, I just called them up, and it's like, hey, you know, this is kind of what we're looking for. I want something that's a little bit fruity, something that's still like dank and sticky and still very like weed forward. Um, sent me a bunch of samples and we just did bench trials, you know, diluting it out into uh, what we decided was going to be our seltzer base. Um, we made our seltzer base kind of based on our hop water base, which is a fairly acidic, um, pretty aromatic hop water. And uh, we just kind of, worked on it from there. A lot of bench trials, a lot of blending. Um, you know, I think uh, one of the things I think about a lot is, uh, you know, in writing or in, in art, music, uh, people think about their like ideal customer, their ideal uh, uh, person that they're selling to. Um, and when I think about these, I think about my wife. Uh, she really enjoys these seltzers. Um, and so I think about what she would want out of it. She wants something that doesn't have any calories, that's zero sugar, um, that doesn't come across sweet. And I try to think about what she would want to drink and then make a beverage that fits that that uh, flavor profile. And it tends to work out for us. Um, I think she's she's a pretty, pretty good consumer for me to keep in my head as we're working on these products. And it's and it's just a straight up like regular seltzer, right? Non-alcoholic seltzer, just fizzy water yep. as the base. Yeah, I mean it's more or less like like a like a hop water. Um, you know, it's uh, carbonated water. We have to de-aerate de it because um, too much oxygen will break down the THC emulsion. Uh, huh. We acidify it. Um, we found that um, a certain amount of citric acid 
and ascorbic acid kind of gives some mouthfeel to it and helps the beverage be more like uh, fulfilling. Um, you know, kind of the difference between drinking like uh, uh, seltzer water that's just like, you know, your, your store brand seltzer water versus like uh, uh, Topo Chico, which actually has a fair bit of mineral profile. Having that acidity in there helps make it more fulfilling and uh, I think makes it feel more like a social beverage and that it it fills that niche that beer or wine would fill otherwise um yeah. you know bubbly water doesn't do it for me so adding mm-hmm. that acidity really helps round it so when you talk about beer and wine in social settings right there is it's a social lubricant in some ways you know you have a you have a beer or two or you know a glass of wine and you know you feel a little bit different uh i'm not talking about intoxication but um you do feel different. How, how do these hit? How do these in your experience now, you know, affect drinkers or impact drinkers? Uh, you know, I think it really does fit that, that niche of a, a social beverage. You know, I, I really do believe in the idea of, um, social lubricant, uh, a little bit of beverage in your hand it helps people have something to do with their bodies. So they're not like standing there thinking about how, if their arms look awkward or not, uh, you know, it helps break down a little bit of the social anxiety. Um, and they really do fit that niche really surprisingly well. Um, they also loosen you up a little bit. They do intoxicate you, um, you know, very much depending on people's THC tolerance will determine how intoxicated they will get you. Uh, but, uh, they, they fit that niche quite well. Um, what we've seen in our tap room, uh, doing onsite consumption is that groups will come in and, uh, six people sit down at a table, four of them grab beer, two of them grab seltzers, and, uh, they hang out just as they would otherwise, as if they were six people having a beer together. Yeah. Um, it's no real like social change or difference that happens because some people are consuming a different intoxicant than other people. Um, you know, kind of honestly the same we've seen with our hop waters is, is the same thing where people sit down and, you know, it doesn't seem to matter if somebody's drinking, uh, a intoxicating beverage or a non-intoxicating beverage. They're still having that social setting and that, uh, connection with the people around them that you uh, I think you honestly need, you need that lubricant. So, yeah. When I was talking to um, Scott from Lua uh, on the show a couple of weeks ago, um, talking about their, their brand climbing kites, which, which you guys make um, on the menu, they had um various levels like the the, like the milligram dosage and it was you know if you're a beginner start here if you're a little bit more comfortable start here if you you know if you feel like you're experienced you can go here um are you are you all doing the same thing like education wise because like for me like i i I haven't had one of these yet right and i'm i'm curious about them enough that I, i i will try one at some point but i know if i'm out and i'm at the bar and i'm drinking lager um, I know my limits typically, you know, by ABV, um, or, you know, and, you know, when it's time to call it a night and get in a cab and, 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 and that kind of thing. Um, and I feel like there, for me at least, and maybe I'm making too much out of this, it's the, I don't know how much is 
right not right you know like i don't know the effects of it on 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 the next day and i'm guessing i'm not alone in that in that worry is is so i guess i guess the question is like how do you all talk to newbies like me about it <laughs> uh you know it's it, interestingly i think um i think it's not been as big of a hurdle as um i mean i honestly thought it would be a bigger one to begin with but uh people are generally pretty familiar with with thc as an intoxicant you know it's the the numbers are are pretty high for like you know uh millennial gen z consumption of thc like people know what it feels like um the beverages are all right different. so now now i'm in the the, the very low minority okay <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, it is the, the beverages are different uh, than like a gummy or uh, hitting a vape pen or something. Uh, they they hit your body pretty fast, uh, be, being that the THC is water soluble. It also is just like ready, ready to be absorbed into your bloodstream. Um, you know, you, you open a can and assuming you're not like by uh, somebody who smokes multiple times a day and is has massive tolerance. Um, you know, you open a can, you start drinking it and you will feel the intoxication before you're done with the can. Uh, it, it comes on fast, unlike a gummy, which, you know, you eat a gummy and 30 minutes later you go, man, I'm not high at all. And you eat another gummy and then you're too high. Uh, so it, it helps prevent that scenario in that the, the, um, come up happens pretty fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, but also what we found is oh, people are buying these to drink at home for the most part. They do drink them on premise with us, but generally, you know, the first time you consume THC is not a seltzer at a bar. Just the same as like the first time you have six shots of tequila is probably not at a bar. It's at your house or at a party with your friends. Um, you know, people, we really haven't seen the issue of like over intoxication. Um, you know, occasionally somebody gets a little too high for how, they want as you know a little higher than they want to be but um it hasn't been like you know people get too drunk all the time um you know it's uh the 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 issues that we've ran into of people over consuming are uh far far overshadowed by the issues of people over consuming alcohol by far <laughs> gotcha um and i mean does it fit in? I guess can it fit in with the other beverages as well, right? I mean, I I think about you know being out um you know on a night like that with uh you know when I was when I was there and everybody was drinking lagers um and you get back to the hotel bar and it's like okay I've had enough uh beer for the night I you know I might have a cocktail uh, at the hotel bar before going to bed, um, which I think is common for a lot of folks. If you're out to dinner, you know, maybe you're starting off with a, you know, with a, with a cocktail or having wine with dinner, that kind of thing. Um, do these seltzers fit in with other beverages like on, on the course of a night, like a night out? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely see people switching back and forth. Uh, I would I would never suggest somebody do this, but I do think that our chill state blends really well with uh, uh, lime juice and and gin. I think it's a, a wonderful combination. Um, I will say, you know, if you're not a experienced consumer, blending the two could get you 
uh, a little past where you want to be, a little faster than you want to get there. Uh, but they they fit in pretty well. Um, I will say, like, you know, if I was uh, at a conference or something and I was out at the bar all night with my friends and then went back to a hotel room, popping a seltzer at that point might be a really nice move. Um, you know, there really is no hangover from it. So uh, it's going to hydrate you a little bit. It's going to keep the buzz going and uh, maybe make your hangover the next day a little bit less intense. Okay. I like that. Um, I mean, you mentioned adding gin, so it, it's important to point out that these are like, I guess it, it's fair to call them non-alcoholic. Yeah. 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 They, no, they have no alcohol in them. Right. That would, that would run afoul of uh, the TTB. They would not let us put any, uh, any Delta nine into a alcohol containing beverage. Right. So we were talking about quality early on and there is, you know, I think concern these days among some of the um uh the na manufacturers about you know well we have to keep pathogens out we have to make sure that things are uh pasteurized or tunnel pasteurized um you know i i know seltzer doesn't always fall into that but you know talk to me about you know how i guess these are packaged or um you know, consumer safe where we don't have to worry about something scary growing inside of them uh yeah we we put a lot of effort into making sure that we're making a safe product for people um i think um uh, brewers can be a bit cavalier when it comes to food safety just because beer in and of itself is a safe product the ph is low enough it's got alcohol in it it's got a co2 dissolved into it like it's a pretty safe environment where uh you, you have to be working pretty hard to hurt somebody uh, with like a pathogen or chemical intrusion or something like that. Um, these do carry more risk. Uh, we've put a lot of effort into having a HACCP plan, a hazard analysis and critical control point plan. Uh, we do a, a, a lot of testing on our product. Um, we also make sure that like the product in and of itself is as safe of a product design as we could give people. Um, the pH is very low. Uh, not many pathogens could survive in it. There is no sugar in it for pathogens to consume, to propagate. Uh, we um, have a number of products that use some form of chemical uh, preservative to make sure that they are safe to consume. Uh, we don't do um, heat pasteurization in our facility, but I know that there are other people that produce uh, seltzers that do heat pasteurization or retort pasteurization um you know there's a lot of uh thought process that goes into it it's more food science than uh it is brewing and putting on that mindset uh one means that you have to learn a lot really fast uh and make sure that you're not producing a product that's going to hurt somebody but uh it's just a different mindset when you're thinking about how you produce this beverage for people um, brewing is, uh, you, there's not a lot of concern about hurting somebody unless they drink too much and, uh, get themselves in trouble. Um, this stuff, you could hurt somebody if you were willy nilly. Um, and I've, I've definitely seen some, uh, folks doing some things that I would not, I would not feel safe doing, uh, you know, cold brew coffee. That's not retort pasteurization, re retort pasteurized, um, with THC in it. And like, that's, that's scary that's not the ph isn't low enough there um so 
I, I do think that uh, consumer trust in the brand matters a lot in that regard. Like people know Fair State as a brand. They know who we are. Uh, they've been drinking our beer for the last decade. And so them knowing us and having faith in us and trust in us matters a lot when it comes to these kind of novel beverages. Um, that's one reason why I think that uh, we're having a fair bit of success compared to like people that are just jumping in to launch a THC beverage with no, no brewery, no name, no experience, like people don't know who they are. And so it does increase that kind of anxiety about product. Uh, you know, beyond like the safety of the product, we also think a lot about uh, potency and making sure that our uh, advertised milligrams of THC are what's in the package. You know, just as if you bought a beer that said it was 6% alcohol and it was actually 3% alcohol, you, you would feel cheated. Um, if you buy a seltzer that says it's 5 milligrams of THC and it's actually 2, you'd probably feel cheated as well. Yeah. So we we spent a lot of time and a lot of effort uh, vetting different testing labs, vetting different uh, THC emulsion providers, uh, finding finding products that felt like they were uh, repeatable, high quality, and then making sure that our testing around them was uh, sufficient. Uh, the number of testing labs that I went through in that first three months before I found a lab that I felt comfortable with that returned results that were repeatable and uh, reliable was, uh, it was expensive. I, I probably spent $20,000 on testing in that first three months that did not give me good numbers. Um, now I've got a good lab. I trust them, um, but I still test them, <laughs> uh, make sure that they're giving me reliable numbers on a regular basis. So uh, there's a there's a lot more quality control that has to go into it to give people a high quality product. I like that. I mean, and because I guess being at roughly the beginning of this, and it seems like this has long legs to it or a long tail um, you know, to it, taking the right steps now probably ensures better consumer confidence down the road. Right. I mean, it's, it's a, like a fuck up can put this whole thing back quite a while, like a public one. Very much so. Um, you know, I, I keep an eye on, uh, like our, you know, Minneapolis Reddit groups and stuff. And people talk about this seltzer, that seltzer, this brewery, that brewery. Um, and it really, it takes one bad experience to have one vocal person out in the market talking about how all these seltzers don't do anything. They, they don't work. They're, you know, it's all junk. And that's because uh, they got one early in the in the seltzer game that the person wasn't doing their due diligence, the producer wasn't. And, uh, you know, it was labeled as five milligrams and it had one milligram in it. So they didn't feel anything. And so now, uh, you know, they're kind of evangelically anti, uh, hemp seltzers. Um, and that's, uh, there's, there's a fair bit of that out there. And, uh, at the same time, there's also people that, um, you know, they've become customers, they trust the product, they trust us, and uh, they become evangelically for the product. Um, I think, you know, Minnesota also a year after legalizing uh, seltzers and edibles, gummies and things, uh, we also just legalized uh, adult recreational cannabis use. Um, we don't have the framework in place yet to open dispensaries and have, you know, smokable flower products for sale 
Um, So right now people can only legally get uh, either flour they grow themselves or uh, edibles on the market. I think the market's going to change when they can easily walk into a store and buy flour. But I also think it's just a different consumer. Um, You know, I can go to a concert venue here in town. I was actually, what, two months ago, I went and saw a concert uh, at a pretty large venue and they had THC seltzers there for sale. And, you know, it was psychedelic rock. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great move right now. Um, But I'm not gonna be able to walk in there and like buy flour and smoke it in the middle of a concert because you can't smoke indoors. Um, It's a different uh, product. It's a different market. Um, And uh, if you want a small dose in a social setting, the seltzers are a great way to go. If you want a high dose at home to uh, get ripped and watch a hot tub time machine, flour is going to be there for you. <laughs> so it's just different, different uh, usage cases. I like that. Where do you see this category going? Um, you know, I really see in, in, in the short term, I think there's going to be some like gold rush kind of action. People are going to make some money and they're going to think that they can grow indefinitely. You know, it's going to look a lot like, uh, craft beer uh over the last decade or look like those mixed firm programs from seven years ago yeah uh there's definitely gonna be some gold rush action um but i really think that in uh in like the five and ten year timeline you're just gonna see a lot of breweries making these products um it's going to expand, you know, state to state. Some states don't allow it. Some states do. Uh, it's going to become a more common thing on the market. And you're going to walk into, uh, you know, a random brew pub in a random town and they'll have eight beers on tap and they might have two THC seltzers on tap. And uh, I think really it's going to turn into just another product line, another thing that people make. Uh, just like, you know, seltzers went through a very similar thing. There was a boom. There's a crash going on right now. But you're still seeing almost every tap room you go into has some sort of gluten-free, fruity, seltzery option that they make in-house. And, uh, you know, they're not going to try to put it in cans and think they're going to get rich. But they're going to have a product for that customer that wants that. I like it. Um yeah, it's uh I, I'm really curious about this, this this category. And I think, you know, like now talking with you and talking with other folks who who who've been in the space, like it's um it does seem like it has I don't know, a pretty pretty interesting future ahead of it. And um, you know, as laws change, just becoming more commonplace. So I'm I'm here for it if it makes people happy. Um I've been asking folks on the show for, gosh, I don't even know how long now, but um, the green door question and uh, the, the, the premises on the television show, the good place um, the final season, they introduced this concept of a green door and the characters can walk through it. And when they do, they're, they're anywhere um, doing whatever they want to be doing. And so if we had a green door on our plane of existence and this conversation ended and you could walk through it, and be at any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? Ooh. Uh, well, 
over a brewery you know i'd probably end up uh somewhere on a beach in mexico with uh a couple of my friends eating ceviche and drinking whatever industrial lager is available um you know just give me a nice place with my friends that i love and care about and uh cold beer and some delicious food and i'm going to be pretty happy i like that that that, that is spoken yeah. like a guy who's living through a minnesota winter right now you're just <laughs> give me lager and warmth and sand yeah yeah i mean we had a very mild winter this year but uh um being warm sounds nice <laughs> joe i like it thanks for thanks for being on the show this week thanks for for uh peeling the curtain back a little bit and giving us all uh some insight on this it's it, it really is a fascinating category and i'm uh, i'm glad a brewery like fair state is uh pushing this forward so thanks for thanks for reaching out and thanks for thanks for taking the time of course man no problem you have a good day Cheers. Have you had a THC seltzer yet? Where does it fit in with your beer drinking, if at all? Tell me about it. The email is John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at allaboutbeard.com. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, or guest suggestions. A reminder, please go visit allaboutbeard.com. You can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and read great new content, as well as the archives going back to 1979. And don't forget, you can also follow All About Beer on social media at All About Beer. If you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, you can email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Speaking of that, attention brewers, registration for the 2024 Best of Craft Beer Awards is now open. Sign up today. Now in its 10th year, this is a BJCP-sanctioned event, judged by fellow brewers, professional judges, and industry leaders. Judged in Oregon, it's the third largest professional brewing competition in North America, and it's a chance to have your hard work evaluated and rewarded. Use promo code ALLABOUTBEER to receive 10% off of your order. Don't delay. Register your beers today by visiting bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. One more time. That's bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. Okay, last reminder, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday. The BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And you can go to probrewer.com where you can read our original articles from the All About Beer team once a week by going to probrewer.com. As for this show, Mitch Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.